0: Well, if you would, once again, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 32 through 43. Power over paralysis and death. Last week we observed Paul's boldness for the Lord. And Paul learned what it was like to go from being the persecutor to the one who's not trusted. Um, Paul learned what it was like to experience persecution and knowing that there were people who wanted to kill him. Despite it all, Paul persevered with boldness. Well, according to Acts chapter 9 verse 31, the church experienced a period of peace. Being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Persecution had settled down a bit and people were coming to know Jesus Christ. Probably a large reason for that was the fact that Paul was no longer on the offense for the chief priests and scribes and the Pharisees. He's now on the offense for the Lord. And rather than trying to persecute people, he was trying to persuade them to follow Jesus Christ. And the church experienced a relative time of peace. Well, as we look at this next text of scripture, we see two key events. And as we look at this, there's only a few verses and there's two glimpses of the stories here are very short. So some of you might be thinking, well, does that mean that it's going to be a short sermon? Possibly. I always say when it's going to be a short sermon, those end up being the longest ones. I'm not just going to say it, I'm just going to assume it. So uh, maybe we'll get out of here in early time. But, first of all, the important thing. So we look at the stories here. Follow along as I begin reading verse 32, Acts chapter 9. As Peter was traveling from place to place... He also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your own bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was also doing good works and acts of charity, and in those days she became sick and died. After washing her body, they placed her in a room upstairs, and since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who begged him, Don't delay in coming with us. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him Weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Then Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her to stand up. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout all Joppa, and many people... Or many believed in the Lord, and Peter stayed on many days in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. In this text of Scripture, you have two simple short stories, and they have some really interesting facets about them. But let's look at them in a little more detail. First of all, as we come into verse thirty-two, we find out that Peter—I'm sorry—that Peter is traveling from place to place. He's going down the coast. He's stopping in all these little villages. And basically, he is sharing the gospel, he's preaching the word, and, uh, but in each circumstance, he's coming across people that have circumstances that need God's attention. The Bible doesn't tell us why Aeneas was paralyzed. It doesn't give us any indication. Uh, one, one of the things that came to my mind as I first began to read it, well, how long has he been this way? And then as you read on, it tells us, that uh, he was bedridden or paralyzed at least bedridden for at least eight years so whether it was a result of an accident don't know whether it's because of a deficiency in his body that he became uh, ill or, or took some or, or contracted some type of disease we don't know we just know that here's a man who is paralyzed bedridden for about eight years and Peter simply makes a statement to Aeneas Jesus Christ heals you get up and make your bed immediately he got up he didn't hesitate there's a couple of interesting things about the story here that really baffled me in fact uh, uh last night i was in my study and david came over and we're trying to break down the greek language here to understand exactly what he's saying here um the word for uh this state that, that peter uses in the statement jesus christ heals you is an interesting word You see, in the Greek language, there's there's tenses. And sometimes those tenses give an indication that something that has happened in the past, something that is happening right now, and something that will happen in the future. Sometimes a couple of those tenses are combined in the Greek language, where something is happening now, but yet it's going to continue to happen, or it will yet happen. But as you look at this particular word, the word heals, it's translated 26 different times in the New Testament as the word heals, but it also is translated healed, past tense, heals right now, and will heal in the future. And that really baffled me, because you don't see that a lot in the the tenses of, of the Greek language. You don't see where every direction is covered. And it's really interesting, because in these 26 passages, he uses every tense, Jesus has healed He heals now and He will heal and when you look at this you say well what does that mean in the text what does that mean that as Peter looked down at Aeneas and says Jesus heals you what does that mean because you wouldn't, you could, in your mind you want to say grammatically that doesn't sound right does it Jesus has healed you Jesus will heal you Jesus is healing you now. That's not what the words say. It says Jesus heals you. But as you go back and do the study, it's the context of all three. And Jesus has healed you. He is healing you now. And He will continue to heal you as you go forward. Isn't that awesome? That we serve a God who's not trapped in a tense. He's not trapped in the past. He's not trapped in the present. He's not trapped in the future. All three of them are able to be laid out in such a way that we can understand that God is always at work. Isn't that awesome? God is always at work. And you know, it's just amazing that for these eight years, I can imagine, because it was not a situation where he was born with it, we do know that, but it was a situation that for these eight years, he is paralyzed and bedridden. And if you've tasted of the freedom to walk and move and go about your business, and now all of a sudden you can't, that's hard to handle. So I can only imagine, I can only think in my own mind, and it's just my opinion, that he's probably wondering day after day after day, will I ever walk again? I mean, will it ever be like what it used to be like again? And all of a sudden Peter comes along and says, Jesus heals you. Get up and make your bed. You notice what's not not there in the text? There's no argumentation for, well, wait a minute, Peter, I mean, do you understand? Look at me. There's no argumentation. The word that follows there is what? Immediately, he got up and realized that he could walk. I wonder how many times in our own lives that Jesus has commanded us to do something, but we want to argue about it. Hey, I want you to open your mouth. I want you to share your faith. I want you to invite someone to church. I want you to do this. Fill in the blank. And we kind of reason with God why we should or shouldn't do what He's asking us to do. Here's a man with anticipation who jumped up and immediately it says he got up. But here's the amazing thing. In verse 35. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw Him and turned to the Lord. What does that phrase mean? That all saw him and turned to the Lord. Here's what it simply means. They knew this man. They knew that he was not putting on a show. Because no one in their right mind lays down for eight years and puts on a show and pretends he's paralyzed. They knew who he was. He had a reputation, if you will, as far as people knowing who he was. But here's the thing. When he got up and walked... That spoke volumes and people saw that and what was the result of it they turned to the Lord because now as I said last night in my message I want to know I want to know in my own life and I hope you want to know this too that God is more than a name on a piece of paper in a book somewhere right he's more than a name on a piece of paper in a book somewhere he is alive he's real and I want to sense that presence But here's what happened. When God performed this miracle, people saw it and they turned to God because of it. What does that mean for you and I? You and I go about our business day after day, and many of us, we pray that God will do specific things in our lives, don't we? We ask God to reveal Himself in ways that it would be obvious that He's at work. Whether it's a provision of a need, whether it's a uh, helping us through a trial that we're going through, whether it's a healing from a sickness or illness of some sort. When God does those kinds of things, it's an opportunity for the world around us to see how we're responding to it and to see what God's doing through it so that they might see who God is. But when we keep our mouth quiet about what God is doing, we lose an opportunity for people to see who God is in our lives. Don't we? We need to get to the point where where we're willing to share what God is doing in our lives. But not only that, look at as the story goes on here in the next story. So, remember verse 32, Peter's traveling from place to place. He's hitting all these towns going down the coast. And here it is. Now he's coming into Joppa. You remember what happened in Joppa? That's where who ran to, remember, Jonah running from God. And uh, so now he's in Jonah's town. He meets a disciple named Tabitha. Look at this, verse 36. In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. And by the way, this is one of the only places in Scripture where it refers to a lady as being a disciple. And remember, two weeks ago, we talked about what a disciple was. Someone who follows their master wherever they go, learns everything that their master can teach them, puts into practice what they've learned, and so forth. This is the only passage, I believe, that calls a woman a disciple in Scripture specifically. So in Joba, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, and she was always doing good works and acts of charity so in other words she had a reputation of somebody who was busy for the lord in fact we know that because as we go on tells us what she was doing it says in those days she became sick and died after washing her they placed her in a room upstairs and since lida was near joppa the disciples heard that peter was there and sent two men to him who begged him don't delay in coming with us so peter got up and went with them and when he arrived, they led him to a room upstairs, and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was yet still alive. So here's a woman who is busy serving, working, doing good acts of, of charity towards those who are around her. She was a, a woman who was there to help others. And the, the Bible tells us that she was always doing good works and acts of charity. But for whatever reason, she became sick and died. We don't know why she died. We don't know what caused her to get sick. Just that she was and that she died. But it's amazing here that God has a reason for everything He does, right? In every circumstance of life, God knows what He's doing. And I'm reminded over and over in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, "...for God works all things together for good." For who? "...to them that love Him, who are called according to His purpose." In Verse 29 that we might what? Be conformed to the image of his son. So even in this circumstance, as Lydia or I'm sorry, as uh Dorcas became ill and died, God had a reason for it. And it's amazing to think what God was going to do through this. So the people washed her body and put it in the upper room. And I'm amazed as I was reading to this again this week, it's like what's with the upper room and putting dead bodies in them? Uh in second Kings chapter four. Uh, remember, there's the Shunammite woman, who uh, you know, Elisha says you're going to have a, a child a year from now, and she says, "Don't deceive me, don't make me, you know, get my hopes up." And you know, God gives her a child, and the child grows, and all of a sudden one day, the child that was promised her, she has, grows, and she go, he goes out in the field to meet his father, and he says, "I got a headache," and all of a sudden, you know, send him home, and he dies, and they put him in the upper room, that was made for Elisha. And so Elijah comes up, shuts the door behind him and prays and says, okay, these people are expecting a miracle, God. And God does that. Now we see it again. They throw this body up in a room and all the women have followed him in just like they had done before. And he says, back off, go away. And Peter turns and prays and God does a miracle. So the people summoned Peter to come deal with this situation. And in Acts 9, verse 39, Peter went with them. You know, sometimes when God wants to use us in ministry, you have to go where the people are. Just absorb that for a minute. The older we get, the more comfortable we get in our own environment. Is that true? Anybody like your particular chair with your remote? Anybody like your comfort zone and just kind of leave me alone and be quiet? I'm trying to watch this. Let's be honest. We're creatures of habit. We're creatures of comfort. But if you're going to be used in ministry, be used to impact the world around you, you have to go where the people are. You can't expect them to come to you. You notice in this situation, they didn't bring the dead person to Peter. In fact, they didn't do that in Second Kings 4 either. They didn't bring the boy who died to the, to the man of God, Elisha. He had to go where the body was. He had to go where the people were. Can I just challenge all of us to get out of your comfort zone? Go to where the people are. Go to where the ministry needs to happen. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is this. We've been talking about the church and God building the church. If you're waiting for people just to come here all the time, guess what? Many of us are going to be waiting for a long time. Is that true? You have to go where the people are to see God use you in ministry. Most ministry takes place outside the walls of this building because that's where life happens. So Peter gets up and goes. And then Peter sends all the widow women away out of the room and Peter prays and turns towards the body and says, Tabitha, get up. Think about this for a moment. The funeral arrangements are over. Ta- Who would have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? I have to be honest. That sounds like impossible faith, doesn't it? Tabitha, get up. And she opens her eyes, sees Peter, and sits up. I think that's the cue to run. But Peter then calls everyone to see that Tabitha is alive. But something unique happens again. And we find it at the end of verse 42. Or in the middle of verse 42. This became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. See, both of these circumstances. In verse 35, So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Verse 42, This became known throughout all Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. See, when God does great things, it's an opportunity for people to see who God really is and really put their trust in him. See, what God does in and through our lives is an opportunity for other people to see it. Good and bad how we respond. It's more than just the fact that God did a miracle. They got a glimpse of who God was. This was not about Peter in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I know that. In fact, turn your Bibles over to First Peter chapter 4. Over towards the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 4. says if anyone speaks this is peter's here if anyone speaks his speech should be like the oracles of god if anyone serves his service should be from the strength god provides why so that in everything god may be glorified through christ jesus to him belong the glory and power forever and ever amen the bottom line is peter did what he did is so that god could be glorified and that's exactly what happened as God used him, it wasn't about Peter's ability. It was nothing about Peter saying, Tabitha, get up. Hey, yo, get up. Peter didn't have the power to do that. It was God working through him. But Peter had to make himself usable. Peter had to make himself available for God's service. And then God was one to work through him. In fact, turn back to the book of Romans. Right after the book of Acts, Romans chapter 15, verses 17 and 18 says, Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God, for I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient to the word and deed. So why, why, why is, why do these things happen? It's so that God will be glorified so that he gets all the credit so the eyes are turned onto him turn back to the book of ephesians chapter 6 it says finally verse 10 excuse me finally be strengthened in the lord and by his vast strength how do we accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish? Through His strength, not our own. In fact, if you go on, you realize what the Christian warfare is all about. And he says, Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world's... Powers and this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet, sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. And in every situation take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation of the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. With every prayer and request, pray at all times the Spirit, and stay alert in this, without perseverance and intercession for all the saints. He goes on, how do we do this? In God's strength. How do we serve? In God's strength. How do we minister? In God's strength. Because the real battle is not about whether or not a miracle can take place. It's not whether or not God's going to raise someone from the dead. It's not whether or not He's going to heal someone from a life-threatening illness. It's about the daily, in and out, and how we struggle. And how great God is to help us through the daily actions and activities of our life. But working in and through His power and His power alone. Back just a couple chapters, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Did you catch that in the beginning of verse 20? To Him who is able to do according, or to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. What is God able to do? He says that if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Do you really think God could move a mountain? I don't know. I struggle with that from time to time. Anyone else? I want to have all the faith in the world that God can do everything. But the problem is, I want God to do what I want Him to do rather than what God wants to do. And when I realize that God is able to do everything that He wants to accomplish in our lives if we let Him, then He can do anything He wants but if I want him to just do what I want him to do well then there's a problem because I really don't think he can do it well it's because it's not really his plan he's got a better plan and I'm too busy wanting God to do my plan rather than letting him do his plan but he can do far above what we ask or imagine and one more passage in John chapter 12 if you would turn there John chapter 12 and verse 32. It says, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now we realize in the broader context, he's telling us what's going to happen. He's about to die. and He's going to be lifted up on the cross of Calvary. But in principle, what's he saying here? If I'm exalted, if I'm lifted up, what's the result? I'll draw all men to myself. He'll do that. And you put that in the context of Acts 9, and you find out what happened. you got a paralyzed man who's been bedridden for eight years. And through this miracle that takes place, what does God do? He's drawing all men to himself. It says, many believed and turned on to him. What does he do with Dorcas? Brings life back into her body. And what's he do? He's lifted up. And he draws all men to himself. You want people to come to Christ? Then Christ needs to be exalted in our lives. That's really what it comes down to. How can we exalt Christ in our lives so that he can work through in and through us to draw all men to himself? See, every day we have choices. Every day we have opportunities that God gives us to work in our lives. He alone receives the glory. He alone receives the, the, the ability to be exalted through it because he's the one that's the author of it. So every day we have this opportunity. As we wake up as we go about our day to simply say, how can Christ be lifted up in my life? Anybody have problems? Struggles, trials, difficult situations. Yeah, see, people started to use my two hands and a foot. We're all on the same page here. Life is not perfect. I was sharing last night just a little testimony, and I, I thank God for Brian coming over working on my vehicle. But uh, for about a month and a half, my vehicles were taking turns with the check engine light. You know what those are, right? Those are the things that hinder it from being able to pass inspection. You've been there, right? So both my vehicles were a month over. Not because I was being negligent not getting them inspected. We couldn't get the lights to stay off long enough to inspect them. So Brian works on one and it goes off. And so now he starts on the other one. Now this one pops back on before I could get into the garage. Then he takes that one off and I go over to the garage. Wait, it's Memorial Day. I gotta wait till Tuesday. So Monday we drive it. It's great. It's fine. But Tuesday, guys, I'm getting ready to go to the shop to get it inspected. It pops back on again. I'm like, hmm. You know how? You, and by the way, you know how you get those lights off? Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Right? I mean, that's the way it works. So you guys, you give a couple cha-chings and you get the lights off. But then as you get the lights off, they come back on again. So we're working on these things, getting them inspected. So now we got both vehicles inspected. Thank God we didn't get a ticket driving a little bit over so i get in my truck they don't want to start third alternator in six months go out there the next day after the third alternator on i'm thinking great we're finally through the woods here get out there and the belt's shredded oh my gosh. go out there the tension arm is split which is causing the belt to go off it just seems that does anybody hate that kind of stuff I mean I just want the thing to run that's it that's not asking too much I didn't ask for a $68,000 new truck I just want the thing to run so what is God trying to teach you someone asked me some wise guy that's almost 75 so so what is God trying to teach you through this I don't want to learn anything else I just want it to run this is yeah I've learned enough thank you Jim There's really nothing to learn except for the truck needs work. That's what's to learn. But what is God trying to teach us through these things? Are you trusting Him or are you trusting yourself? Because I trust myself a lot. Because that's what we do. Don't work, we see what we can do to fix it. And God is saying, wait a minute, if you draw... If I'm lifted up, I'll draw him into myself. But we're too busy taking care of ourselves to lift him up. That's a struggle for us. I don't want the struggle. I just want to live. Is it really asking too much? Yeah. If you're doing it in the flesh, it is. God does what he does so that in the end he gets glory. And really it's not about having the new vehicle even though it would be nice. It's really not about having perfect health, although that would be nice. It's really not about everything working perfect, although that would be nice. How can we lift God up in everyday life so that he can work through it to draw him into himself? Because that's what he did here. He worked through something like paralysis to turn everybody's eye towards himself. And then he worked through a death. And you know what? That's still the case today. When I preach a funeral service, guess who I'm preaching to? The living. The dead person's gone. They can't hear what I'm saying. You preach to the living. And you draw all men to Jesus Christ through that. And there's been many times when the person in the, cas- the casket has been right before me I said, if they were standing here today, they'd want you to choose Jesus. How can we lift Jesus up in our life so that he would draw all men to himself? Let's tackle that this week. Through the actions and activities of our life, let's glorify God. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for these two short stories that teach us about what you will do in and through the circumstances of life to draw people to yourself. Lord, I I have to believe that you'll still work that way today. When people get a glimpse of who you are, they will turn to you. But the only way they can get a glimpse of who you are is By us lifting you up through the circumstances of life. And Lord, we know that in the story you used a crippled man and a dead woman to draw people to yourself. And I pray God that you would use us in similar ways in the everyday actions and activities of our life to draw people to yourself, Lord. So Lord, we ask that you'd work in our hearts this week. Lord, just through the the mundane things, the everyday things, to bring glory to Yourself. Lord, I pray You work in our hearts.